Hi, I'm Darren Peppard. Welcome to the Leaning into Leadership podcast, the podcast dedicated to today's hardworking leader. Join me every Sunday for leadership insight, inspiration, and a little pep talk to keep you rolling down your road to awesome. Hello, middle-level educators. Are you looking for a nationwide type of conference at the fraction of the cost? The North Carolina Association for Middle-Level Education welcomes you to Charlotte, North Carolina, March 24th through the 26th for the 2024 NCMLE Inspire Conference. My name is David James, NCMLE Marketing and Conference Director, and I want to personally invite you to our annual conference. You will not want to miss our keynote and featured speakers that lead over 120 middle-specific teaching and learning sessions. Our featured speaker lineup includes EDU experts from across the country, such as principal and leadership expert Baruti Kefele, Charles Williams, LaQuanta Nelson, Zach Bowermaster, and the host of the Leaning Into Leadership podcast, Dr. Darren Peppard. The NCMLE Inspire Conference is for everyone. Go to ncmle.org to register your team for the 2024 NCMLE Inspire Conference today. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. All right, friends, welcome into episode number 123 of the Leaning Into Leadership podcast. And man, today is one of those really special episodes. We are releasing a midweek episode. It is Valentine's Day. There's probably no Valentine's theme whatsoever in this particular episode, but nonetheless, it is Valentine's Day. And honestly, we're recording this on Super Bowl Sunday. So Uh, My friends Todd Bloomer and Dominic Armano are joining me for what is now becoming a regular feature here on the Leading into Leadership podcast. And today we're going to dive into a topic that actually came from one of our listeners, somebody who reached out and said, you know, hey, I loved uh, loved what you guys did in your January episode. He actually referred to us as the three amigos, which I don't know if that'll stick or not, but uh, that was pretty cool. Uh, but the question really centered around uh, those difficult conversations. And, you know, one of the pieces of feedback that we heard so much from the episode in January was the difference in perspectives from, you know, both Don being an elementary principal, Todd being a high school principal, um, Don being early career, Todd being, we'll just say more seasoned. Um, and then of course my perspective, uh, not only as principal, but also superintendent. And I think this, this conversation today, specifically around those difficult conversations is something that's relevant no matter how many years of experience uh, that you have. Let's be honest, you never get good at them. Uh, You just maybe understand a little bit better how to prepare. So before we dive into all of that, before we talk about our Super Bowl picks, um, how many times we're going to see Taylor Swift on the screen, all of that great stuff. um, Let me just welcome my friends in. Dom, I'm going to come to you first. Good morning, Dom. It is great to see you, my friend. Hey, Darren, how's it going? just again, wanted to say hello to everyone. Uh, you know, the first episode that we did was awesome. We did get a lot of positive feedback. Um, just, I'm really excited to spend my Super Bowl morning with my two buddies, uh, Darren and Todd. Uh, here we go. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Todd, I, I'm sure it's a lot warmer where you are than uh, where Dom and I are. It's going to be probably 70 degrees today in San Antonio, Texas. And so that's a uh, uh, tough, uh, tough day. I'll probably watch Super Bowl on the back porch, uh, but I'm excited to be here. Great feedback from the first episode. Uh, excited to be with you, Darren and Dom. Excited to talk. I'm, I'm really, um, this is going to be a great podcast. So I'm looking forward to where it's going and I'm looking forward to today. So let's go. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's Super Bowl Sunday. So so let's maybe talk just a little bit about the game. We're, you're going to have to listen to the whole episode to catch our, our actual predictions. We're going to give our predictions. Yes, we realize when this drops on Wednesday, the game will already be over. So you can let us know just how far off we were. But nonetheless, we are going to make our Super Bowl predictions today. I'm just, I'm really curious, guys. I mean, I know, Dom, you're just a fan of the game. Todd, you're a Giants fan. I'm a Broncos fan. So um I'm just curious, you know, what what are you guys looking at? What are you interested in? What are the storylines for the first Vegas Super Bowl, by the way? I, I was in Las Vegas a couple of weeks ago, stayed at a at a Holiday Inn Express that, I mean, is, I don't know, a half mile from the stadium. I mean, I could see it out my window. Um, I, I think there's so many interesting storylines. I'm just curious. Uh, Todd, I'll come to you first on this. What, what are you looking at with Super Bowl Sunday that makes you curious? Uh, two things. Um, don't bet against Patrick Mahomes. Um, I thought the Bills would beat him. I thought the Ravens would beat him. Um, I think the Niners will beat him, but but you can't bet against Patrick Mahomes. And then honestly, um, the brand of Taylor Swift and what Taylor Swift has done, whether it be for football or not football. And I'll give an example. Friday at school, and Dom, I wonder if your, your campus was the same. The number of, of, of staff members that had either made a shirt or bought a shirt to talk about uh, supporting Taylor Swift's boyfriend in the game was unbelievable. So when you talk about brand and you talk about, you know, transcending pop music and football and culture, you know, people love to hate her, but I, I don't know why people love to hate her. Uh, so really looking forward to, you know, what goes next uh, with that Taylor Swift, really just brand. Yeah, no, and I think, you know, for me, there's two things, right? Super Bowl Sunday for me has always been, and, and you know, two things. Really good food and some awesome commercials. Because, again, I, I'm a fan of the game, but I don't have a particular team that I follow. But this is very interesting. And one of the things, like you said, we talk about school. So I'm in the elementary school. And, you know, my fifth grade, uh, there's a bunch of Swifties in the fifth grade. So when we talked about Super Bowl Sunday or talked about the big game, all they want to know is what's going to happen. Is there going to be an engagement? Is someone going to get down in the middle of the field and, and pop the question to Taylor? Um, but it's interesting because it's like you have two worlds colliding. You have like your pop world and your pop music and you have your sports world coming together. Um, and again, like you said, there are a lot of people that are hating on it. But one of the things I think it was. I don't know someone said it. I think it was maybe just random memes on the internet or articles, but like people were hating on her and all she was doing is just supporting her boyfriend, which I just found very interesting in, in that whole dynamic. But, you know, hey, we'll see what's going on. Uh, like I said, I, I, right now, I'm also hoping that a couple of my boxes hit because that'd be nice too. Right. Well, so we'll see. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you definitely have to root for the squares that you have, whatever those numbers might be. I mean, it's it's one of the weird times of year when, yeah, we're rooting for numbers. Uh, and, you know, you're sitting there like with, you know, three minutes left in a quarter or whatever. And you're like, well, let's see, this is what I need to have happen in order for one of my numbers or, 
you know, I'm sure this has happened to you guys before where you're, you're sitting on the right number and there's a team close to scoring and you're like, Oh, just please let the quarter run out. You know, you can score in the next quarter. Let's, let's just stop here. Right. You know, that's, it's, it's inevitable the way those play out. I, I love the theme of everything to do with Taylor Swift. And I'm, I'm not a Swifty by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm also, I'm certainly not somebody who's hating on Taylor Swift. I, I am actually enjoying seeing just this incredible pop culture phenomenon that is taking place and has for the last, however long it's been, two months or three months that the two of them have been together and she's been going to his games. And again, I'm a Bronco fan. I'm a diehard Bronco fan. Before we hit record, we were talking about, you know, how you two guys with the Yankees are just absolute diehard. I am absolute diehard with the Broncos. So it's very, very hard for me to see the Chiefs in the Super Bowl again. Uh, It really, really is. But I mean, I guess we still have the Chargers to kick around uh, in the AFC West. But um, I just think it's been so interesting to see how this has become this this huge, huge thing. I was watching this morning on the news. Um, my local news was reporting that Taylor had landed safely last night in Los Angeles from her concert in Tokyo. And they don't yet know her plans for how she'll get to Las Vegas today. But I mean, I, it's a two and a half hour drive. I mean, she's either going to drive or she's going to take her private jet, which she's been getting bagged on for too. I mean, it's just it's it's amazing, guys. It it really truly is. Um, so, I, I'm curious. Um, what talk just a little bit more about what you've seen on your campuses with this? I mean, I, I I think it's really interesting to hear the number of people buying Travis Kelsey jerseys or you know uh, whatever. Tell me tell me what else is happening. Then we're going to actually get into the business of today's episode. I'll jump in for Churchill uh, Churchill High School here in San Antonio. Uh, it's the number of staff members that are involved in something that they may not have had any interest in if it were a Giants-Broncos Super Bowl. Like, I don't think anybody's, you know, wearing a shirt that says I'm Daniel Jones's uh, wife's, you know, fan or something. Or, you know, maybe Russell Wilson. Who knows? Uh, Russell's got a pretty popular wife in, in what he has. So yeah, I just she's think the bigger the deal in that family. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. She is, right? I, and I just think that that the the – uh, the way it has really transcended our campus is the number of people who have either, and it speaks to something kind of neat, uh, Darren, is the number of people who have created their own shirts. And so we talk about Taylor being a brand, and then we talk about Etsy or teachers that are creating their own content and shirts. The number of shirts that that were created by teachers that go along with the Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey was really cool. And I thought that was a neat business the entrepreneur type thing that has nothing to do with football was the number of people invested. In. Yeah. And, and, and I think like for me, it's what I find interesting is just the other day I had um, some, some students in my building won uh, a PTA prize and the prize was lunch with the principal. And so I got pizza for them and we all sat and we were eating lunch with the kids And there was one student in particular that was wearing a football jersey. So we started getting on the topic of football. And then it was immediately turned into the Super Bowl, talking about Taylor Swift. And I was just wondering, you know, being a in a school district that's kind of on the small side on Long Island in New York, uh, if Taylor Swift wasn't involved, exactly what you were saying, would the kids even be talking about it? Because the local teams are not in it, right? It's not there's no New York team in it. So would it even be a topic of conversation? Not only was it, it was, but it was the pretty much the dominant conversation 
for the 45 minutes pizza prize uh, lunch that the kids had. And it was all about whether or not Taylor was going to get proposed to. And someone's <laughs> another student was like, I have a theory that she's actually just going to start singing too during the halftime show. So I'm like, all right, we'll see. Like, so, <laughs> but it was a 45 minute conversation about Taylor Swift and the Super Bowl when I don't even know if it would be, you know, so it is pretty interesting yeah. and pretty cool. That's that's interesting. I don't think she's ever done any collaboration with Usher, so we shouldn't expect to see her uh, during the halftime show. But but yeah, who yeah, knows, I don't right? think that's it's, we'll it's Las Vegas, right? I mean, who knows? Anything could anything could happen in Las Vegas. So, guys, let's get to the business of today's episode. Again, folks, we will give you our score predictions for the Super Bowl. Um, no matter how miserably bad they end up turning out to be, or or incredibly accurate, somebody might get it right. It won't be me. Uh, but uh, we'll get to that at the tail end of the episode. But what we want to get into today is really a conversation about those difficult conversations. And let's be honest, as leaders, this is part of the territory. You're going to have those those conversations that have to happen, whether that is, you know, a reprimand with an employee, uh, could be a difficult conversation with a parent, or it could even be those difficult conversations that aren't being spoken within your staff? And how do we get past that difficult space where people don't want to talk? Now, uh, again, this is something, guys, that this topic came uh, in, in a direct message to me uh, a couple of weeks ago. And the question really was, was around this article. And I'll put this article in the show notes so people can go and reference. It's a fantastic article. And but one of the one of the pieces in the article is talking about uh, discussing undiscussable issues, and that's what we really want to get at today. And, and how do we do that? And I want to read just a little piece from that particular section. It says that undiscussable issues are topics relevant to the team's work that team members don't address in the team. Uh, the one the one place where they could be resolved. Instead, undiscussable issues are usually discussed in other places, such as one-on-one -on -one with people you trust or who will agree with you. People usually don't raise undiscussable issues in the team because they're concerned that doing so will make some team members feel embarrassed or defensive. I, th I think this is such a powerful topic. And I'm curious, just on first blush, when you guys read this article and specifically honed in on this particular section of the article, what were some things that came to mind? Were there were there any like visceral feelings? Dom, I'm going to come to you to, uh, first on this one. Just just curious, guys. What what did you feel? What what hit you with this part of the article? So when I when I first read the article, I think one of the things that hit me was my first couple of years on the job as an assistant principal. And, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know if I could say lucky. I mean, I guess I was lucky to become an assistant principal when I did, because I, I so badly wanted to be a school administrator. Um, but I was, yeah, I guess lucky or fortunate enough to become an AP at 28 years old. And again, one of the things that hit me was when I read the article and I really thought about it and, and really, let it sink in. I realized that early on in my career, I avoided those conversations because I wanted people to like me. And I don't necessarily think I was doing the right thing at that time. I believe I wasn't a strong leader 
because I was avoiding these types of discussions because I was so fixated on, I want the staff to like me. I want the parents to like me. I want the students to like me. Um, and that I immediately went there and then kind of took a step back and looked at how now that's not necessarily the case. I mean, yeah, I want people, I mean, I think everyone wants to be liked in some capacity, but I also think it's more than that. I think being liked, being respected and having people know that you're going to tell them the truth when you have a conversation with them, no matter how difficult it is. So that that's kind of where I went in that particular when I read it. You know, Darren and, and Dom, I think this article could have been written about me. Uh, and I think as leaders, we all probably you know feel that way. Dom, you referenced it. Really hit home with my first principalship at a middle school and really about how any conversation that I had started to fall apart and really about just how difficult that first year was, um, you know, and you balance going from being a, probably a pretty, you know, popular and successful assistant principal to going to a school and now feeling like you're failing uh, because of the hard conversations that either you need to have or you're not having. And so really this article really spoke to me. Uh, and I often said, if I ever got an opportunity to do it over again, I would do it so much better. And I was given that opportunity uh, year two, but also at a different um, uh, high school. And so I was able to go in and, and, and really um, be able to craft my narrative. And as we jump into some of the ideas and suggestions about how to do this, you know, I really think failure led me to being successful. Yeah, I think that's that very much would encapsulate my transition, I think, into both the assistant principal role and honestly moving into that principal role where you do you do want to be liked. You want to build those relationships and you want people to, you know, feel that trust and that type of thing. But just simply making people happy is not building trust. Uh, and I think that's something that a lot of early career leaders will fall into as, as a trap. Um, I'll tell you one of the things that jumped out to me um, and, and actually, uh, my, my pep talk this Monday is about a culture of anonymity. And where I went with this, uh, I just I jumped into a couple of the social media groups. Honestly, I was needing a little inspiration for what did I want to talk about in the pep talk this week. And I jumped in and I started looking through, you know, some, some different posts and that kind of stuff. Just what are people talking about? What are they struggling with right now? You know, what are some things that might spark some thoughts in my head? And I noticed a very high number, and this wasn't just in one particular group, this was in multiple groups, a high number of anonymous posts. And in some cases, guys, I didn't feel like most of the posts, I'm like, why are you posting this anonymously? This is silly. Just put your name on it. But it made me wonder and it made me curious about the culture in their particular organization. Are they afraid to have their name on something? because there could be a, a culture where it's about repercussions. You know, I remember people saying all the time, you know, boy, I just, man, I don't want to come forward with something because, you know, I, I don't want to see any repercussions. Like, why would you worry about that? But I think it happens more frequently than we realize. And that was to me, one of the pieces with this article that we have to be so mindful of the culture we're creating. Uh, I mean, that piece that I just read where we don't bring it up in the team, we bring it up maybe with somebody who trusts or will agree with us. You know, the, the, the staff meeting after the staff meeting, right? Like the one in the parking lot 
is kind of what he's talking about here. And I found that so intriguing. And again, back to this, this culture of anonymity, you know, if, if we haven't created spaces as leaders where everybody can feel comfortable addressing the uncomfortable issues, we can't really move forward. We can't really improve as a school. And, and I know the, the individual who's, who reached out and, and sent this to us, his question was, how do you create that type of atmosphere on your team where the undiscussable issue can actually be discussed? Um, I, I'm curious what thoughts you guys have. Todd, I'll come to you. You've been uh, doing this for, for quite some time. You lead a huge staff. And I'm wondering, do you see this still, or do you feel like you've moved past that? Maybe maybe start with your leadership team, because I know you have a fairly big leadership team, and then maybe take it a little bit further out from there. Leadership team extended probably 15 or so that we consider a weekly leadership team meeting with what we have. And we have created space every Monday morning to have conversations, because I honestly feel when you're talking about something that is uncomfortable, when you can put a name and a face to it, 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 it kind of eases that uncomfortableness. We can talk about maybe not hitting marks on, on, on reaching scores or accountability for special education or emerging bilingual or different groups that we're not reaching academically the way that we know we should. And that's big picture. And we can talk about that. But when you start to dial that in with talking about, hey, we're talking about uh, Darren Peppard now. We're not talking about just a person. We're talking or just people, we're talking about an individual that's in your third period class. And so what I have tried really hard to do is just create a narrative of who are these people and, and let's talk about them. And if we're talking about groups, instead of talking about groups, you talk about individual people, because I have a firm belief that every one of my staff members shows up to be great every day. Like they want to do well, they want to work hard. They're there to change lives and make a difference. And when you talk big picture, everything can be overwhelming. But when you dial it back to individuals, that makes it really, um, that's hard to say, hey, I'm not gonna do you know, for Darren what I know needs to be done. So I'll give you one really good example to share. You know, We looked at the co-teach model, special education with the co-teach, uh, two adults in one classroom. And we just put all means all on, on a board. And we created a space of about 60 people coming together monthly to talk about what does that look like? And how are we maximizing two adults in a room to service all kids? And how can we have faith and trust in our staff to be able to have faith and trust in our kids? And so we started putting pictures of kids up there that were not being successful. Kids that we love that show up every day that deserve our absolute best. So honestly, if I could, you know, if I would have been able to go back to my first year as a principal of a middle school where I struggled with communicating my why or communicating any uncomfortable conversation, it would be about specific people and kids. And when you're talking about specific people and kids, that just tugs at every administrator or educator's heartstring. And that has you, I, in my opinion, that, that really rallies the troops for what you have. So anytime you can dial it in to make it practical or about a person, I think that gives us great, great advantage to do great things uh, with our, our, on our campus. Yeah. And, and I, I couldn't agree more, right? Like, so basically what you're doing is you're putting it all out there, right? And, and building a culture like this, a culture where people are not afraid to have these conversations, you know, it's not going to happen overnight uh, and you have to take it slow. And I also think just, again, Todd, to piggyback off of what you said, and I, I really couldn't agree more, but it's also about putting yourself out there. 
So for example, right, we are, we're leaders, we lead, um, you know, hundreds of students, you know, e even hundreds of staff. I know Todd, your, your campus is huge. Um, but you know, not everybody is going to agree, um, with you and what you do as a leader. And one of the things that I've noticed in my, in my career is, you know, you always have those representatives, like the union reps in the building or the, uh, the teacher representatives that are the ones that are tasked to have a difficult conversation with you when not everybody necessarily agrees with what you're doing as a leader. Um, and when I have those conversations with them or when there is concerns or, you know, when they, for example, don't disagree or there is an overwhelming amount of staff that are just like, what is he talking about? I'm the first one to stand up in front of my staff and say, this is what um, is being said about me or, you know, I, you know, let me let me clarify or let me take a minute and apologize for something that I miscommunicated. Um, and when I put myself out there, it's like I'm having the difficult conversation publicly about me. Um, and then we work through that together. And I think that builds that trust. Um, and when you do that, when you when you go in front of your hundred uh, faculty and staff and you say, listen, last week I put something in the memo and it really didn't hit the right way. I want to I, I want to apologize or, you know, I I tend to lead by my heart, which is a blessing and a curse. And my um, my new staff just said this to me, you know, in one breath they go, we absolutely love you because you lead from your heart. And then in the other half, we're like, you're driving us crazy because you want to do all these big and grand things. And, and you're always like, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's go. Let's go. But I often reflect. And I always say that I always take a step back and say, you know, I apologize, you know, and I think when you show your vulnerable side and people know that, you know, you're able to do that and you're able to critique yourself, the other conversations, it just, it, it happens more naturally because there is no, I got you or repercussions or things like that, because it's just an open and honest conversation. Yeah, I think that's really, really big right there, man. You just hit like, man, like a dozen things that I want to chase after. Um, and I, I think a big part, you know, first and foremost, that being willing to apologize, you know, when you make a mistake and you're human, you, that's going to happen. You know, I mean, we went we went through when I was a high school principal, we went through this massive redo of our uh, our bell schedule. And I remember, you know, we rolled it out. You know, I, I had, you know, I had a great team put together for all of this. And um, somebody told us a few days in a few students came to us and said, you know, our lunch is actually shorter. You actually cut five minutes off of our lunch. And we're like, no, we didn't. No, we didn't. You know, and we went back. Oh, no, we didn't. We didn't. And I remember sending a, I sent a memo out to the whole staff, you know, kids may be saying this, but this is not actually accurate, yada, yada, yada. Um, we sat down, my, my, my guy on the team who had actually done the math, and we went back through it and the kids were right. And we're like, wow, we, we kind of made a mistake here. And standing up in front of my staff and apologizing for that uh, and just telling them, you know what, hey, uh, I made a mistake. You know, I didn't put it on anybody else. I owned that mistake. And I had a handful of staff come up afterwards and say, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that you would apologize for that. You know, some administrators would have just, you know, let it go by the wayside or not said anything about it, or maybe even just sent an email. But you, you actually saying something to us makes, makes a big difference. I think creating that culture where we're willing to admit our own mistakes goes a long way in creating that environment where people will have those difficult conversations within the team. I think a part of it too is 
continuing to build those one-on-one relationships, putting up, put aside opportunities to continue to grow those relationships where that trust can exist. Yeah. I like, I like what you talked about Dom with the, uh, with the union, you know, I I would have regular meetings. I know Todd, you do this too. Um, I would have regular meetings at least once a month with the union representation in my building, because you do have those folks who maybe for whatever reason, don't feel comfortable in saying to you, you know, Hey, Dom, I don't like how this is working or Todd, I don't think this is fair, but they will go to their union rep. But if you can build that relationship with the union rep where you can have some of those, you know, just honest conversations and they can say, you know, hey, you know, I'm hearing a little bit about this or, you know, somebody mentioned that and you can you can actually explain, oh, well, you know, here's here's where we're going with that or, oh, boy, you're right. That's (laughs) that was really a bad choice on our side. Um, I, I think the more of those relationships you could build, the better, because it does give you that opportunity to have a two-way street. Go ahead, Don. Yeah, and I just, I just think that you know it's just so important because you know we unfortunately, unlike other professions, our staff is bound by the four corners of their classroom. Right. So maybe if we worked in, in just a regular office building, you know, on the 56th floor of the Empire State Building, we would have an opportunity to call a staff meeting like that if we had to, you know, explain something to our staff. So a lot of our communication, unfortunately, like you were saying before, comes into the form of a weekly memo or an email or, you know, something along those lines. And, and when you and again, you know, I mean, you could be the best writer in the world, but you're not necessarily getting your message across the same way you would as if you're just standing up in front of your faculty and staff and having that conversation with them. So I think it is very important, like you said, that you have those relationships with those delegates that are coming to talk to you, because at least then in the interim, before you have that staff meeting, you can have an open and honest conversation and explain it so that they can help be the messenger as well. Hey, uh, to piggyback on that, you know, I have a, about 175 staff members and the, and the crazy goal is that I'm going to visit each one of them every single day because I try my best to have what's called a, what I've dib, dubbed a, a doorway conversation. And those doorway conversations can be about Taylor Swift, the Super Bowl. Uh, it can be about, you know, the, season two of Reacher finishing. It, it can be nothing about uh, school, but it builds that trust and it builds that, it breaks down that barrier. So when I come by a classroom, a teacher may not wait until sending me an email to ask about a student concern, a work order they need, or just let me know that they're, they're doing well or that they're struggling. And I think honestly, that one of the, one of the small keys to my success has been the availability and creating those spaces where people feel like they can approach me and talk to me about anything at any time, and they don't have to wait to schedule a meeting. But what I also found was there are people that may not share in, in doorway conversations. And so I, I schedule regular one-on-one meetings uh, with teachers. With, I just finished one up with brand new teachers. Uh, I schedule regular ones with lead counselor, regular ones with my head football coach, my athletic director, where I build time into my schedule uh, to have 15 minutes. It's called coffee with the coach or coffee with the counselor. I spend time going to my instructional leadership team meetings so that they can ask me questions. And then honestly speak, and some people give me grief for this. If I walked into a room and Darren, you and Dom were teaching biology and you were on your lunch or your off period, I'd sit down and I can read the room. I get body language. I can figure it out. If you didn't want me there, I would probably not sit down, but I would, but I would leave. 
But if you gave me an opening, I sat down, we talked about your kids. We talked about how life was going. We laughed. Uh, they talked about how I was doing. And that really has allowed me that communication piece to be two way. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's really big. Um, and I, I, it makes me, it makes me curious about something. Uh, I mean, certainly as leaders, there are things we can do to increase that communication to the leader, but what about, and, and I think the gist of the question that came in was now taking it to the next level. How do you create that environment where the staff collectively will have some of those difficult conversations. And I'll, I'll give you an example that came to my mind when I first read this question and, and when I first read this article, connecting back to the question, I had at, at my high school, I had 125, 130, you know, total, total staff and faculty or faculty as we called them, and probably about 90 or so teachers. So I had a number of PLC groups. We had dedicated PLC times, and I'm sure Todd and Don, this is true at your school as well. We had some really highly functional PLCs and some, let's just say, less than highly functional PLCs. So leaning into those PLC groups that don't want to address the real topic, the, you know, the ones who maybe can't get past or won't open up the walls of their classrooms to each other to really discuss issues that impact student learning, that, it, that impact student outcomes. How do we move a whole staff? How do you help shape a mindset on a campus where it's okay for us to have these conversations? And I want to start at more of the micro level. So Dom, your elementary school is smaller than Todd's high school. Um, in fact, the district where I, where I was a superintendent, the community was smaller than Todd's high school. Um, so let's, let's go to the smaller level and, and Dom, what are some things you recommend or that you're working on, uh, that you're trying to do to build that staff level trust and collaboration so that those difficult conversations are happening with them and with, with you not in the room. So I think, you know, at first, and especially for me, because I was, I'm new where I am, I'm, I'm on six months now, right? Um, I think for me, it was just regular, and I know this sounds so maybe cheesy or silly, but those regular, like, number one, team building activities, right? Um, some of the things that I've actually done this year uh, is have uh, role-playing scenarios where I've given teachers, for example, we talked about having open and honest conversations with parents. Uh, so what I did was I gave teachers a, um, a scenario where it was an issue with a student and then I played the part of the parent and they played the part of the teacher. And then I was a parent that was kind of giving them a little bit of pushback about the scenario that they had. And we went back and forth and then we had the rest of the team that was kind of watching the scenario play out, give pointers on how best to address that. And the point that I was getting at is again, to kind of say it's important to have honest and open dialogue, and it's important to take criticism. I also think, again, kind of like anything else, I mean, I'm in an elementary school, and what we do in our elementary school, the teachers, is similar to what I just described, is we give students sentence starters, or we give students conversational starters, or teach them how to work cooperatively in groups. 
I think it's the same thing when it comes to our meetings. Like a lot of my grade level meetings with my staff, I'll, I'll pose a question and I'll ask them. And sometimes I'm posing a question that I know is going to have a little uh, conversation back and forth because I know that there's going to be, um, you know, two different types of scenarios or two different opinions. And, and my point in that is, again, just saying that, you know, we all don't have, we may think we have the right answer, but we don't. You know, I'm trying to build a network of intervisitations and I'm trying to build a philosophy of the best professional development as the teacher down the hall. And in order to do that is to hear both perspectives. So I guess, I guess I'm, I know this sounds kind of bad, but I guess I'm kind of setting them up to have a disagreement so that they figure out that the other person may have uh, something that they didn't think of or, or, or have an answer that they didn't expect. And, and when you do that, they then see the other point of view and then rely on each other, if that makes sense. I mean, it makes sense in my crazy head. So I, I hope it sounds like it makes sense now that I'm saying it out loud. It probably doesn't, but it is what it is. Can I jump in on the sentence starters? And so yeah. we have... Um... More and more teachers are coming out of, of the business world, alternative certification, have not had an opportunity to student teach. So as a student teacher, you get a little bit of an idea of what the eight to four looks like. You might sit in those parent meetings. And so realizing at our high school that we have numerous, numerous teachers that have never had a parent conference with anybody. In my faculty handbook that I wrote this summer, I wrote a script on how to call a parent. And I wrote a script on how to start. And I wrote a script on how to say good things about their kid. And then a script on how to uh, solicit that the help of the parents to be able to be a part of this equation. And so the sentence stem is, is, is amazing. Now, Darren, to go back to your question, I think as a leader of our campus, we have to cast the vision of where our campus needs to be. We all agree that the PLC is, is right for kids and good for teachers. And so we have to put that at the forefront of all of our communication and everything we have. At a big campus like mine, then we go down to the PLC levels. And we got to make sure that we have great people lead, leading those departments. Like I can right now say that I wouldn't trade any of my deans or department chairs for anybody in the city. They're bought in, they're committed, they're good for kids, and, and, and they're doing great things on our campus. So getting the right people, as cliche as that is, getting the right people in spots is important. Getting the right people then down to levels where people might not want to have those honors conversations is important. Just because you've always taught, I'll say U.S. history, doesn't give you a God-given right to always teach U.S. history. If we're not going to share, if we're not going to open up our classroom to others, if we're not going to be committed to what we buy in, then we have to have conversations with that. Two things that I do that I think helps, I share with my leadership team, I share with anybody that listen what my evaluation looks like. What did they say Todd Bloomer did well? And what do they say Todd Bloomer needs to work on? Because I think I do some things well, and I know there's things I, I don't do really well for what I have. So I'm vulnerable and I share with that. My goal this year in every classroom that I went into was to provide feedback to teachers, written feedback. And everybody I think says that they do that in some way, shape or form. And I would have said that a year ago, but I didn't give good feedback as I walked in and walked out. So now it's an index card. It's a sticky note. It is something that I saw that you were doing really well. And it's a couple questions that I'm posing, getting you around things that we're working on in our campus. And then as I wander the campus, as I see you the next day at lunch duty or in hallway duty, I then can follow up with that to say, hey, let's talk about that transition from how we ended class to, to leaving class or what did that exit ticket look like? And I've gotten really good at coming up to people and saying, let's talk about it. 
And even if I thought the class was great, educators, they're, they're their own worst enemies. You know, they'll, they'll give things that they're working on or, you know what, I've already implemented this suggestion or this strategy. It's revitalized me to be out and be in classrooms more. And I think it really has helped um, move the elephant a little bit as we kind of talk Chip and Dan Heath about moving stuff that we need to get to because all of my feedback goes down to specific student needs. And it goes back to EB, special ed, or it even goes back to pushing the kids that are, you know, really great, are really doing a very good job, but could be great with a little bit more push. And so the feedback has become that. And then lastly, I, I accept feedback all the time. Like we have, I'm not a big fan of them, but we do a lot of anonymous surveys in our district uh, to be able to give us feedback. And we have a committee called the Faculty Advisory Committee in which they bring solutions and suggestions to me that we're able to kind of implement. And sometimes it could just be something I'm doing. And so I have to be vulnerable and when I uh, in front of staff to say, as Dom said, hey, I'm sorry about that. That didn't go the way I wanted. Or you know what, your idea is better than mine and let's rock and roll. And I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna piggyback real quick. I just, there's one thing I wanna say. I think that right there is the key. And that's something that the 28 year old Dominic did not do is being able to be vulnerable and being able to say, I don't know it all. You know, at 28 years old, Darren, we talked about this, right? Superman, right? You have that Superman syndrome. I was 28. I was an assistant principal. I didn't want, I, I couldn't take the feedback like when Darren had with, uh, hey, you cut five minutes off the lunch. You're like, no, I didn't. What's the matter with you? You know, at 28, but you have to be vulnerable. And that's definitely something I learned over my careers. And I think you hit the nail on the head is just say, you know, I'm a human being just like you. We're all going to make mistakes and that's okay. I may not know the answers, but you know what? The answer's in this room because we have different perspectives and we have to be able to listen to that. I love that so much. And I think, I mean, that ties in with, with something that I was thinking about listening to both of you guys talk. Um, you know, you can't create that, that culture that you want without being vulnerable as a leader, without being a human being as a leader. Um, but I also think you know, to help empower some who struggle with that, because there will always be those who maybe have a difficult time speaking up or, you know, for whatever baggage they're carrying around. I mean, it just takes some time to build those those spaces where everybody can feel comfortable. And I think it starts with being really intentional about the norms that you use in in how you meet and being really upfront and intentional with saying, you know, we want, we value putting ideas on the table. We value, you know, pausing. We value paraphrasing. We value asking good questions and understanding that none of those come with judgment, but that rather, you know, this is what we're doing and being intentional. You guys both uh, alluded to it without calling it directly out, modeling those behaviors that you want to see, um, Dom, I love how you talked about, you know, in essence, setting them up. I think there's nothing wrong with that. It's what you're doing is you're creating a teachable moment for that specific thing that you're looking for. And, you know, Todd, certainly in in a situation like you have with, with the size of a team you have, you can be intentional with modeling that or even creating like those fishbowl types of environments where you can see how we put these norms into play. And this is the second piece I think is so critical. When we're not there, everybody needs to feel empowered to call out the wrong behaviors and say, whoa, we don't do that here. You know, I mean, we, we can discuss the difficult topics, but we're not going to make it personal. We're not going to attack. We're, 
here to solve problems, not to create division. And, and Dom, I can tell you're ready to just jump all over this one. So go for it. Well, I, I think, you know, I think it's what we're just doing what we expect our staff to do, right? Like, so we expect our staff to be, to, to be open and honest and to plan and to teach, right? At the end of the day, we're nothing more than teachers, right? I, I, at, at the core of who I am, I'm an educator. I was, I was a fourth grade teacher. I was a first grade teacher. And that's still who I am today, except my class changed, right? So now I don't have nine-year-olds. I have um, school aides and teachers and paraprofessionals and secretaries and custodians. And, you know, if you view them as one giant class and you give them the same type of expectation and, and you model and you support, and I mean, when you're no longer there, they're going to be able to do what we want them to do the same way we expect our kids to do what we're teaching them when we're not standing in front of the room. Every Friday morning, I start my day at a local elementary school. And we started a reading program called Kick Off the Reading. And we take a different group of um, kiddos at Churchill, whether it be athletics or fine arts, and we take them down there. And originally the plan was to make it a remedial program, but now to reward for these little guys. They get to read with the Churchill kids. And last Friday, it was with my junior ROTC kids. And sometimes I got a coach that comes with me. Sometimes the sponsor comes. A lot of times the kids come by myself. And this ROTC group did such a great job with these kids. I sent pictures to the to the sergeant and to the uh, the captain of the ROTC. And Dominic, hits to your point, the sergeant came up to me and said, the mark of a good leader is when you're not there and your kids, you know, your, your people uh, take care of business like you were there. And we know that as adults, but these are 16 and 17 year old kids. And it was just such a neat leadership moment for me that they've instilled in them doing what is right, taking care of people, you know, like, you know, when someone, what is the old saying says that leadership is like kind of doing the right thing, even when someone's not, not watching. And I was so impressed with that. And Dom, it hits so much on your head. I won't be on campus a couple of days this week. I know that my EPs will take care of what I need to because we got good structures and systems in place. I know the PLC will continue to meet. I know Monday afternoon, which groups will walk the campus and go into classrooms because we got those good structures and systems in place. And so, you know, they'll never name the school, you know, Todd Bloomer High School, like I hope they will one day, but it's not our school. So when we leave, we got to hope that we put these structures in place so that when, when we're gone, it still continues to function at that high level. And that's what the hard work then really becomes. And there's one other thing I think that is really, really important. And I kind of learned this through my journey is, you know, we, we model what we preach. And so every Monday morning, I send an email at 730 to my staff, uh, just like Dom, you kind of brought up a memo and I write it Saturday and Sunday and I delay deliver it till tomorrow. But I start off my first two paragraphs with what I did with my family over the weekend, because we value, um, you know, time, uh, downtime. We value getting out in the city. Today it's going to be 70 degrees and I can watch the Super Bowl in my back porch. And, you know, there's times and places to go out. So I want the staff to know it's okay over the weekend to let your hair down and just have a good time and go get a good burger and go out and enjoy the city and share with me. And then I share with them what I'm watching on TV. And those conversations, as, as little as they have to do with, you know, geometry or chemistry, have everything to do with building culture so that we're able to put those structures and systems in place so that we can have these hard conversations. And so I really would encourage any leader out there, 
it, it, you know, the, the kids don't care what you know till they know you care. Same with a teacher. If they don't know who you are and where you stand on issues, then they're, it's going to be hard to buy into some of the things that you're that you're trying to put out there. But when you have those conversations and you put your vulnerability out there and you laugh about your mistakes and you share struggles that you have with children, I mean, every parent that has a kid has had struggles. I share with all of my all, all the staff about my my struggles of my son Andrew. Uh, great kid. We kind of poke a little, a little fun at him. He went to school there, but it shows that I'm a person. When we can have those hard conversations and we can get back to that's really a good guy because he's a dad first. He cares about the campus. He's always visible. So you know what? He, you know, I'm I'm gonna listen. Or I'm gonna take his feedback, you know, uh, not as being mean, but the feedback as being he wants what's best because I believe every teacher wants what's best. And when we when we, you know, caveat it that way to give to a staff. And I think we can, you know, get some great results. That's outstanding, right there. I, I think, you know, to to maybe wrap that part of the conversation up, I'll just say this. You know, Todd, you hit it on the head. We're in the people business, and and that's something leaders don't forget. That don't get so caught up in data. Don't get so caught up in specific, you know, standards or curriculum. All of those things are important. But this is a people first business and remember to invest in and continue to invest in the relationships that you are building on that campus as the leader of the campus, whether you're the building principal and assistant principal, whatever your title might be, that's secondary to the fact that you're a human being on that campus and it's your responsibility to open up to be a human and to build relationships with everybody that's, that's there. That will help move your campus forward so that those conversations, those undiscussable types of issues can start to come forward. It's a process, it takes time, and it certainly isn't easy. But man, guys, what an awesome topic for today's episode. Oh man, I just absolutely love that. Now let's do this. We promised that we would give our Super Bowl picks. And yes, when you're listening to this, folks, we understand the game is already over. But I will tell you that it is noon central time on Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday. So we do not know who's going to win this game yet, but each of us has a prediction. And uh, Todd, I'm going to come back to you first. Let's see. What do you got? What do you got? Uh, Okay. I think the 49ers are a better team, uh, but I'm not betting against Patrick Mahomes. Um, Dom, I'd love to see a proposal at the end of the game as old and corny, I guess, as I'm getting, I'd love to see that. So I'm going to go chiefs 34 and I'm going to go Niners 21. <laughs> well, there you go. All right. Well, so here I am ready. Hold on. Let me get my crystal ball. I'm looking in, uh, actually, you know, I guess, um, I still have a lot to learn. I really don't like being wrong. So this is what I'm going to say. I'm rooting for my boxes. So with that in mind, the numbers that I have are six and zero. So I'm going to say 16-0 Chiefs. And I'm also going to say that after the Super Bowl, the winning quarterback is going to say that they're going to Disneyland. Well, you're probably right on that. I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> kind, of a, that's kind of a given. Um, so um, I don't think it's going to be 16-0, to zero, though. I really don't think that. I mean, it, it may be 36-30. I mean, you might be a little bit more realistic there. You know, if you All right, well, there you go. Zero, there you go. <laughs> you know, that's kind of how those numbers work. Um, I, I will be honest with you. I, I agree with Todd. I think that the Niners are the better team. I mean, I go back and look at what they did to the Dallas Cowboys, what they did to the Philadelphia Eagles. Honestly, I think they broke those two teams. I really do. 
can they do that to the Chiefs? I think they absolutely can. If Nick Bosa goes crazy, holy smokes, man, with him and Chase Young on either end, there is a potential for that. However, I still don't. I, I, I'm with you, Todd. I can't, I can't pick against Mahomes as much as I want to. I don't want the Chiefs to have more Super Bowl wins than the Broncos. I absolutely do not want to see that happen. But I think the Chiefs win this game 26-23. I really do. I think it's going to be a great game. I think it'll be a close game. But ultimately, I think the Chiefs are going to come away with the victory. I don't know if there'll be a proposal, but we'll definitely hear Mahomes say that he's going to Disneyland. So there you go. That's what we've got for you this week, folks. We will be back again in March. Again, hit us up with your questions. Um, this is a great example. You know, we had we had some people reach out with some questions. This one was an awesome one to talk about. Certainly in March, there's going to be some great topics. We'll probably talk a little bit of March Madness as well, because we'll be right into the thick of March Madness when that time comes around. But uh, guys, thanks so much for today's episode. Final thoughts, any any final things in your mind? Dom, I'll come to you. No, I just think, you know, and this was a great topic, so I thank the person for sending it in. And I just want to say for those listening out there, it's okay to admit that you don't have all the answers, be vulnerable, and uh, be authentic. I'm going to hit with uh, tomorrow. Uh, I'll be in Austin, Texas for a Texas Association of Secondary School board meeting. And so it is important to get involved in your state organizations uh, wherever that is. And I will caveat that by saying it is also important that you're registered to vote. You're, you're knowledgeable about where your candidates stand on issues that are important to you. And you make sure you get out and exercise your right to vote. And if educators voted as a block, we would never, ever have to beg for pay raises or anything along those lines. So it's so important that we are registered to vote and we're voting in primaries, not just our national election. Excellent stuff right there. Get involved. It's important. Um, we've got to look at those issues that are important to us as educators and make sure that we stand together on those issues. Excellent stuff today, fellas. Uh, everybody get out there. Have a road to awesome week. Thank you for listening to the Leaning into Leadership podcast brought to you by Road to Awesome. Don't forget, click subscribe, give a review, and share this with somebody who might also enjoy leaning into leadership.